need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast where Eric... Hey, how's it going? It's going well. And myself, my name's Jeff. We go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order. And uh, we are um, in the thick of a back-to-back science fiction something. (laughs) What do we call it? Marathon? It's a hard Uh, one. No, double feature. Double Double feature. feature. There we go. So we did AI... And I said, some of it reminds me of Minority Report, which we watched this week, um, which came out in 2002. Uh, of course, uh, this was written uh, based on a short story by Philip K. Dick, who is a legendary science fiction author. He wrote the book that became Blade Runner and all that good stuff. Yeah, all the all the best science fiction comes from... Philip K. Dick. Well, no, I won't no. say that. That's not. That's <laughs> wildly untrue. Yeah. Much of the best science fiction comes from Philip K. Dick. Let, let's just put it this way: Philip K. Dick is a source of good science fiction. Yeah. Okay. We'll go there. Uh, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't know why you had to go for hyperbole right off the top. <laughs> All right. So, what's your relationship with Minority Report? Um, I saw Minority Report in the theater. Uh, this is 2002. Really good summer for movies. There was uh, some Spider-Man going on oh. there. Oh, uh, the OG Spider-Man blew me away. Yeah, man. Sam Raimi chronologically. Let me write that down. <laughs> and in uh, Minority Report. So this was the, the summer after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of the themes of this movie kind of hit pretty hard right then because there was a lot of conversation going on in the country about uh, security versus freedom and so mm-hmm. on. Um, but anyhow, yeah, so I saw it into the theater um, and like s- s- not too long, two or three years after that is when I started dating my wife. We've been together for like a while and this movie uh, has over time become one of our favorites like we've Mm -hmm. probably watched this together i would say six or seven times over the years you know and you Uh, watch it again together this week and we watched it again together this week yeah we both really enjoyed almost to the point where i was almost like you want to come on this podcast but i didn't but i should have but uh yeah she (laughs) she uh she really enjoys it as well so uh yeah i would i would say that um this is a favorite, like not not just a Spielberg favorite, but like a favorite, favorite film of my family's. Yeah. And so I had not seen it until I was at a bookstore with a friend of mine. And he he's a big Philip K. Dick fan. And he was like, oh, have you seen Minority Report? I'm like, no, not yet. He goes, he's like, I like it more than Blade Runner. You know, and he's like, did you hear what I said? It's better than Blade Runner. And I'm like, oh, okay. Not that I'm really high on Blade Runner, but, you know, I get that from a Philip K. Dick fan. That's quite the statement. So I watched it on DVD at the time, 
and really, really loved it and watched it numerous times since. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting because this is one of those movies, it's kind of, and I don't want to say this movie is like The Thing because it's not like The Thing at all, but it plays to me in a similar way with The Thing where no matter how many times I see it, I'm I'm able to like shut off my recollections of what happens, right? Like, this is probably close to my 10th time seeing this film and I still was sitting there like, wait a minute, like who, wait, what, what happens now? You know, like I'm able to, and the thing is the same way with me. Like I'm able to kind of be like, I don't remember who's the thing and who's not, even though I've seen it like a, a million bazillion right. times, you know, like the film can still find ways to surprise me. Um, and then, you know, as usual, I was watching the film in the context of this podcast and so I was looking at it a little more analytically this time and realized that I was like wildly off base on a lot of things in this movie. You know, like before I'd just been watching it on a surface entertainment level. Yeah. This time I'm thinking like, okay, what's going on? Like, who is that? And why is this happening? And what's up with the system that they're in? And so on. And so I was thinking, you know, of it in those terms, uh, so we could have this conversation and, uh, new, new shit came to light. You know, like I, I, I really uh, was interested when I started like digging into the ideas and things in this movie, um, which I always thought that I, you know, I, I, I think of myself as a pretty intelligent film goer. I always thought that I was picking up on a lot of the stuff in this movie, you know, like it's popcorn entertainment, but then there's like some philosophy and some other stuff yeah. going on under the surface. But uh, this time I, I came down in a very different place than I have in the past, not on my opinion of the film, but just on my opinions on what's going on in the film. Gotcha. I look forward to getting into that. Uh, and it does. And it, a movie I brought up before I robot, uh, we brought it up last week because I, it's a much, I, movie i prefer much more to ai um and it's robots uh but this is similar era came out and just kind of fun popcorn flick with some philosophy philosophy behind it if you want to dig in i will say not long ago i started up minority report and i just i don't know if i wasn't in the mood or what i just was like ah, it's not doing it for me right now and when I started it up this time, I kind of had a similar experience. I was like, I don't know. There, I've, I think I've fallen a little more negative than before on this. Like, it's kind of... My opinion of it is not as strong as it used to be. Like, going into it, I'm like, hell yeah, Minority Report. I love Minority Report. Yeah! But there's some things from a script and storytelling perspective and that kind of feel a little sub surreal and like I think what I love about Spielberg and like the movies we do like are that sort of natural effortless take that he has right everything just feels sort of real life um and but when he steps into the science fiction realm everything kind of gets exaggerated a bit and I kind of felt that way with this and some of the story elements feel kind of well trod like him having lost his son you know and him getting home and looking at the hollows and doing the drugs and I was just like okay you know like that kind of hit me as a little more derivative than it used to 
And there were some moments of like when he sees the guy with no eyes, he's like, in the land of the blind, the man with one eye is king. And then he moves into the light and his eyes are hollowed out. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> like It just was like there's there's several of those moments in the film that kind of take me out and be like, oh, come on. That It just felt heavy handed. Yeah, I, I will admit, like, in, in the past, like, the, the kind of subplot with him being on drugs and so on. It was like, like, let's just face it. Like, he's going down and buying, like, smack. Like, the, the future equivalent of smack and <laughs> taking it home and shooting up at night and watching videos of his dead son. Uh, that that has worn on me in the past. Like, like I have also wearied of that subplot and been kind of like, can we just, be, like, move past this part, you know? Um I see why it's in the film. Like I understand the need to make him a uh a troubled protagonist, you know? Yeah. Um and and I also see that the film uses that to like kind of gain some leverage against him, you know? Like uh he's not he's not the stand-up guy that he portrays himself as and and both Colin Farrell and uh, Lamar Max Max von Sydow is that how you say his name? Both of them end up kind of leveraging that against him um, in different ways as the movie goes on, and so like I, I understand the need for him to have that flaw in order for them to to kind of like punch him while he's down <laughs> even further. But that's like his only flaw. Oh, I right? don't agree. I don't agree. Oh, okay, I. Th- I think we got an Indiana Jones situation going here. I think this is a bad dude. Like Really? I think that he is not a hero. I think oh, I think okay. he is I think he is a bad man. And I also think he is, like Indiana Jones, completely ineffective. Like in the end, he does nothing in this movie. He achieves <laughs> nothing in this movie. Like none of the stuff that happens is due to all his flailing about. Like, I, I, I just, yeah. I, that, that's the I difference. That's the difference that I came down on this time. I was I like, don't this, this is a bad how, man. Like he is a bad man. He's a. But how do they ever catch the main killer guy if he's not the guy in pursuit? I know that at the end of the day. Like, he's not the one who does the final, like, get the guy in trouble, but he's the one who's doing the investigating. He's the one who starts the process. Danny Whitwer, Colin Farrell, solves the crime. And no, then, he doesn't. Yes, he does. He, he knows that someone inside. He doesn't know who. He figures out the method that the crime happened. Right. He, but like, he doesn't he, know. He solves the crime. Because if he had solved and, the crime, he wouldn't be dead at the end of the movie. He solves the crime, and then uh, Tom Cruise's wife puts the nail in the coffin. Like, Tom Cruise doesn't solve this crime. Danny yeah. Whitworth figures out the method, and his wife nails who it was, and then goes and busts him out of the clink. Maybe. And then they- What do you mean, maybe? He had. She had to have. They show her- I think- I'm I'm throwing all okay. my cards on the table here. I think there's a possibility he's still haloed. Like, okay, I, I don't think I don't <laughs> think necessarily that she gets him out of jail. I think he's in the Matrix, and this is like going on in his head the whole like last section of this movie. After he's, yeah. I think he's still in the clink. Um, but okay, like 
let's let's look at Tom Cruise's character overall, and I'll make my again. I'm blowing a lot of my stuff for the end here at the beginning, but okay. Uh, to start at the start of the movie, right? He's a fascist. He's a slaver. He's a drug addict. And the only reason he even looks at this system again is because he becomes a victim of the system, right? And so, like, only through his own personal experience as a victim does he even stop to think that, oh, maybe this isn't good, right? And then... He is so full of himself and so self-confident and so just like, I am obviously a good guy, that as soon as he sees himself as a murderer in the system, he just assumes the whole system is broken and then sets sets out to prove that the system is broken. Well, I can't be a murderer. All these other people were like, we're not murderers. But no, they were murderers. But I can't be a murderer. This shit must be broken. And so he goes and he runs around and he tries to, like, figure out how the system is broken. At the end of the movie, Danny Whitworth and his wife have solved the murder. His son's murder is still completely unresolved. And pre-crime, which debatably you know, was a good or bad system. I I think I fall more on the bad side of things, but it did pretty much eliminate murder is gone. Murders start again. The criminals have a field day. (laughs) Like this guy, this guy is a disaster of a human being, right? Like he's, he's totally a hundred percent bought into the system that relies on the subjugation and, and enslavement of these three children Right. Like a hundred percent. Like it's better if you don't think of them as human. Right. Like he's willing to completely set their rights aside, set everybody, everybody's rights aside in order to like push the system until it affects him. And then he's like, oh, wait, this is fucked. I can't, like, no, no, no. This has got to be broken. Oh, what's this? Minority reports? What's going on? There's ways to do that. Like, like, and then he starts digging into it and looking at it. But it's not until the moment where it impacts him that he even stops to think for a second that the whole thing might be jacked up. Up until that point, it's like, look at me. Look at me. Okay, you're under arrest for murder. Here's this thing on your head. You know, (laughs) he's a bad dude. This is a bad dude. Okay, you win. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, all of that is accurate. Um, yep. It's interesting because I think it's kind of subversive that Spielberg casts Tom Cruise in this part, right? Because, like, you immediately like him because he's Tom Cruise. He's Tom right? Cruise, and right. And he's so self-assured. He's cool. And he's cool, and he's handsome, and he's got jokes, and he's like, watch me roll this ball on the table. You caught it because the ball was going to fall. The fact that you caught it doesn't change the fact that the... And you're just, like, eating it up, right? And this whole time until I watched the movie, this time, like, all the other nine times I've seen this movie, I was eating it up. <laughs> it's Tom right. Cruise. He's the best. Look at him. He's jumping on the cars. Oh, he's so cool. You know? <laughs> It wasn't until this time where I was like, this guy's a douchebag. This guy is everything that's wrong with society, you know? Like, yeah, so I don't know. That's it's kind of that that's the big sea change that I experienced this time. The movie is just as entertaining. Um, yeah. but it but I, I really like had a big shift in my perspective watching it this time. Yeah. I and I didn't clue into that at all. I was just like, yep, 
this is what I remember. I was more taken aback by the sort of camp, camp's the wrong word. The, Steven Spielberg cannot do science fiction. He just can't. I, I, at least do it well. Like, which ones are good? E.T.? E <laughs> it's like, come on. It's okay. Like, it's like e. One. science fiction. Like, E.T. is, a, e, e, okay, let me put it this way. That's a terrestrial science fiction. That's a-, a Jurassic the, the, Park? All right. Okay. Let me put it this way. <laughs> no, I mean, the, yes, those are science fiction, but they are not in the same vein of science fiction as an AI or a minority report. You're talking like futuristic world building science fiction. Yeah. Like it's a, because all of those, the ones you mentioned, E.T., Jurassic Park are in our established world. And there's just a little tweak. And then he takes his ability to build characters and, and works with that. Right. Both of the ones you mentioned are absolutely great films but then when you get to ai which you could argue well that was um kubrick you know kubrick and there's like so it's not fully okay fine whatever but the same problems i have world building wise i think the story is much worse in ai than it is in this are similar here where like they go to the guy's house who's uh he has to so they have scanners everywhere, right? That scan people, and it's very 1984, and it's great. I, yeah. You know, that's the sort of thing I like in science fiction. But he has to go get his eyes replaced, and there's a guy who lives there who's this person you've seen in every movie, but you can't ever place him, um, is the doctor. And he's got a sheet up, and that's his TV, and it's just always playing, and, like and it's a dirty place, and everything just feels sort of... Like, this is what he thinks edgy is. Like, anything outside of normal suburban life is just kind of really overdone. And I feel like that's kind of the case here. There's a lot of overdoneness to stuff. Are you talking about, like, the grittiness of the film? Like, I, I, I kind of took the grittiness of it as purposeful. Like, like it, um, it may, might be overdone, as you say. Like, I mean, that scene is gross. Like, there's a lot of gross stuff that happens. There's snot and mold and rotten milk and grossness and eyeballs. Like, it's, it's a, ridiculous. It's a really it's gritty, way... gross film. But I think the whole film kind of has that as I a agree. subtext. You know, like, I, I think the whole one of the major themes of the movie is that we've got you know, this supposedly perfect system that is like eliminating crime and there's no more murder and it works. It just works. But then like underneath the surface, there's like this layer of poverty and grit and grossness. Like oh. everything that goes on in that building is just foul, you know, like there's people fighting and, and there's like a complete like lack of, uh, any sort of personal rights, you know, everybody's given up ever, all their personal rights in order to have this no murder thing. And, and so I feel, and even like down to the grain on the film, you know, like I feel like yeah. all of that is kind of like a choice to make this seem like, okay, maybe Tom Cruise and his fam live in this beautiful world, but the mo the majority of people are like in the shitter, you know? Okay. So know what that reminds me of another movie. Remember, I said iRobot is the better version of AI. Uh, I'm going to say this. The better version of Minority Report, at least the way you've described things, is Demolition Man. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> All right. You got 
everything's utopia, <laughs> right? On the top, you've got the guy who's the, the king. He's, <laughs> he's the guy who's running things. And then, uh, you know, underground, you've got Dennis Leary's group. It's oh, all gritty shit. and dirty, but that movie is so much fun. And <laughs> uh, Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I like it. I like Judge Dredd. I like a lot of, like, the newer Judge Dredd, similar situation. Dredd right? is awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's. But that uh, one's more everything sucks. There is no upper class that is sort of at least shown in the new Dread, but in this yeah. and in demolition man there is the everything is great and perfect and wonderful and fine and the people who are living in that society are great with it right and you can look at the parallels in our world you know on our side of town or on our certain side of the town everything is great and the lawns are trimmed and everyone is happy but outside of it there are people who are hungry and can't you know find food and so yeah, there's that in both of these films. I just I, I, don't... I feel like in this movie though, it's more of a subtext. Like I don't feel like it's it's the actual like one of the themes of the movie, right? Like it's just a part of the world building that this is the world where this movie takes place. Like there's a lot of other more important themes going on in this movie. Like this is just like right ground stakes, you know, like like tape table stakes. Like that's that's the world that we're in here um yeah i don't know (laughs) no i you just blew my mind man you just like totally knocked my socks (laughs) off with that demolition man comparison holy shit demolition man's awesome so i'm just saying that there's that that's the thing that i'm pointing at and saying when spielberg does this sort of future sci-fi building that something that is not science modern day science fiction where there's just a little bit of change but when he has to build this world and he does it again in ready player one that movie sucks so hard for all the same reasons where he kind of leaves this space of this realistic american life that he is able to produce with et and jaws and all the movies that you and i love and it gets this hyper overdone thing that makes it feel disingenuous. I, com- I I really strongly disagree, particularly in this when it comes to this movie. Like I know the effect that you're talking about. You're just like Free Jack. Have you ever seen Free Jack with Emilio Estevez? Similar, like not similar, but like a, a movie that takes place in the future and cars look different and things look different. But like yeah. the stuff here in this movie is so well thought out. You know, like it all makes sense. Like. Like the cars, for example, amazing. The six sticks, the the back, the rocket jet. Oh, backpacks. I love all of that. Like yeah. it's so cool, and and uh, like uh, uh, that's like you were saying the stuff scanning everybody, and you know the the self facing and like, the ads that the ads are everywhere. like, hey, John Anderton, you look like you need you know whatever. All of that I'm fine with. The virtual reality just, stuff. Like like so much of the tech in this movie is like the tech is fine. It's, really impression, it, you know, the like people. Like there's something about the people that are different, right? Like there are exceptions. Colin Farrell's character is the most grounded, down-to-earth person in the film. Like he's my favorite character in the movie. Um because he knows there's something wrong and, you know, but he also is like 
smart enough to be like he knows there's something wrong with John Anderton, but he's also smart enough to know when oh this this isn't right. Like John's not the guy who did this, right? He's he's just savvy. But everything else to me is just so stylized and like all the screaming that the damn lady does when she's out of the bathtub of the the cog, it just dry like the whole scene with him and crow in the building and she's yelling and screaming and this guy i don't know man i just what about the wife the wife is grounded yeah she's barely in the film but yes lamar is grounded uh lamar uh, the bad bad guy the bad guy max von sido uh the the buddies the buddies who are also on the pre-crime you know like they're pretty yeah i think what you don't like is like the the gritty hood folk like you think like they're over the top right yes. like like the surgeon guy and the oh and the guy and who, the creepy who, german with the mole like, <laughs> like that that whole thing and the guy with no eyes but also the guy who keeps the, everyone in the halos he's over the top and like uh the one who's like actually like i guess you would call him a warden yeah um he's like so goofy to me and otherworldly the guy that runs the vr space uh yeah yeah oh him too there's that guy you're you're saying like all the supporting characters that he comes across out in the world are when he ventures out of his nice little bubble he he runs into like this wild like over the top stuff that just kind of takes me out of the movie okay and i didn't feel that before okay you know what like i can get behind that like i i i do agree that all of those people feel heightened when you get outside of his bubble all of the people feel heightened and in the real world it's not like that like you go into different areas of your city you're gonna run into normal people no matter where you go right well you even might run the into people... one or two weirdos but not yeah, everybody but even is those weirdo. weirdos aren't like this right, <laughs> right. <laughs> i've ran into uh you know people who are not like me and they're not like this either. Um, these guys are no <laughs> the man with no eyes. Give me a break. Like the <laughs> whole thing that to me was like so stupid and it came out of nowhere. Like he just was so thrilled about not having eyes. He came up with this joke. The man not didn't even come up with it. You know? Yeah. All right. I, that all being right. said. All right. I get I it. still like the movie. It just there were things like that that took me out of it as opposed to previous viewings. I I think you have presented a strong argument. I think that makes a lot of sense, and now it's going to bother me. So thanks for ruining Minority Report for me. That's what I said. <laughs> Listen, that's what happened to me. You heard me going into this. I'm like, hell yeah. Minority Report. And then I watched, and I'm like, something just feels bad. There are bad parts to this movie. But once... He goes on the run when he pulls his own ball. The movie gets infinitely better, you, but there are still those stumbling blocks along the way. Do, was it was it because it's kind of like eye rolling to you or yes. was it more like eh, this is gritty and it feels gross? No, it was eye rolling. Okay. It wasn't that it was gritty and feels gross. Like I love dread. You know, I love it. Gritty can be done right. That dread, like the whole world is kind of stylized, but. There's a level of reality to, I don't know. But in this, there were a lot of eye rolly moments where 
I don't feel like Steven Spielberg knows how to do that kind of grit properly. It's not his strong suit. That's interesting. Like, yeah, I, okay, I, I get what you're saying. Like, he just took it too far. He, he, yeah. like, he had- is a grounded guy. Like, our next movie is based on reality, based on a true story, and it's, hopefully it's not, like, there's nothing I watch on it and it turns me away, but it's really, really great, you know? Like, but, the scene the scene with the eye doctor and the assistant could have been just as good and effective without the guy having the hideous cold, without the without the lady being creepy, without... Yeah, <laughs> like and she de-swaddens mine, and she was so comic booky, bad comic booky, and and then, like, when they leave him with just... Tank huh? Girl, they're like characters out of Tank Girl, or yeah. one of those, like, over there, and they're intruding in this, like, otherwise grounded, realistic vision of the future. It's yeah. like almost Rob Zombie... Not like really tamed way back from what he does, but Rob Zombie kind of has that over the top. Everything is kind of wild and sensationalized. And this is like just a a step, you know, into that territory that I don't like. Um, but yeah, the whole scene with him getting his eyes replaced. And again, I didn't remember not liking this. But then when he gets up, then like you said, he goes and there's a fresh sandwich sitting next to a, the grossest sandwich and there's r- fresh milk and behind it is really gross milk. And it's just like, OK, this is just here to be like the gross scene. There's not. <laughs> it, it's so dumb. And there are things I like. I like that he had to get his eyeballs changed. Right. Because he's in this dystopian place where Big Brother is. I like that. But then he has to go to the guy who's just got he's sneezing and gross everywhere for no reason other than, I guess, to say, hey, the antibiotics we're going to give you are just that good. Oh, okay. You know, (laughs) he could sneeze. He could literally says I could sew a dead cat in you, you know. It, uh, we often talk about things that we notice watching it this time, like on a clear TV, as opposed to watching it on old school TV. And again, this might be the first time I've seen this movie in high def, you know, because it's been a while. Uh, but I liked speaking of his eyes being changed. Um, you know, they do. He does have to like reveal one of his eyes to the spiders, and they scan it, and it kind of like blows out that eyeball. You know, and for the rest of the movie his two eyes look different. The one that got mm, scanned. That's good. It, like the pupil is like all distorted and weird and messed up, um, which I had never picked up on before. It's just a cool little attention to detail thing that I picked up on this time. Yeah. I love the little spider scannies. I like that when they, I really like the shot when they're the cameras on top of the apartments as the spiders are scanning everyone inside. And like this couple is fighting and they stop long enough to get scanned and then they resume fighting because they're just used to it. That really reminded me of dread. Um, that sort of thing where, like you said, this is sort of the lower class, um, you know, they're used to the police coming in and doing these things. Right. So much. So they just like, Oh, stop scan move on and whereas any other world you'd be like what the hell you know that is in a an invasion of privacy like the laws have gone past unreasonable search and seizure now they can go in and you know know where you are all the time and all that just whenever yeah just just show yeah. up in your own private space and uh invade you know like there there are two people getting down <laughs> and they stop to get scanned for the spiders yeah and it's like ah it's a bummer. It's a bummer, man. Yeah, I, uh, I, I 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, how do you feel about the whole, like, because one of the things that came out of this movie that I remember people talking about was when he's doing the dreams and he's got the special gloves on and he's moving things and doing the whole operating that computer. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, I feel like that tech is coming. I feel like that's that's close enough to real now that I remember having it, my mind being blown by it uh, when it was you know, like the first time I saw this movie, and now it's close enough to real. I'm just like, yeah, okay. It's like uh, the first time. I, I feel like they could make that today. I don't think there's anything agreed preventing it from existing as is like that. Right, could but, totally happen. What we're talking about here are like some VR contacts, essentially. <laughs> He's got VR yeah. contacts in, and, and like, and I feel like that's what, like, 10, 15 years away at this point, right? Like, it's not, it's not that. I, I get. I think technically they could do it right now, possibly, or glasses, like with just a pair of glasses, they could do it. You know, like, yeah. But like, in order for the thing to be floating there for everyone to see it with no screen behind it. Eh, it'd be a little shady right now, you know? Yeah. But, but close enough. Like it's, it's close enough that it feels more real world. I always use the example of, uh, aliens. The first time I saw aliens, uh, Ripley wakes up in the middle of the night and Burke is calling her and they get on a call and they can see each other's faces. And at mm-hmm. the time that was some wild sci-fi shit. Like that was like, what video calls? <laughs> no yeah. way. And now when you see the movie, you Demolition don't, man. yeah, you don't even think about it for a second. You're just like, like, yeah. like that was like some crazy futuristic thinking at the time. And now it's just like, well, that's just a thing that we have, you know, um, we're all on zoom all the time every day we're looking at each other right now exactly we're doing it right now exactly yeah um so so yeah like that that bit of the tech um feels very very like accurate future prediction stuff the ads the the ads feel very intrusive like they would be <laughs> right. yeah well i mean i went down this whole train of thought with the ads um because like essentially the the idea that the ads pose in the film are like oh no he's going to get identified because everywhere he goes they're scanning his eyes they know it's him you know he's leaving this track wherever he goes just through these ads right and that's why he has to change out his eyeballs but then i thought about it because it it, it makes you feel like really the another it just reinforces the fact that privacy doesn't exist in this world right, right? But then I thought about it and I was like, oh shit, my phone does this to me right now. Oh yeah. Right now. Like like Google knows everywhere I go. And everywhere I go, Google hits me up like five hours later and says, Hey, how did you like Macy's? <laughs> Give us a review of Macy's or other like it knows all the time. So like my privacy is gone. And it made me kind of think for a second, like why am I even paying for this phone? Shouldn't Google be paying me to carry this phone around and gather <laughs> yeah. this data for them? You know, because like essentially what I'm doing is I'm enabling them to sell shit to me by carrying around this phone. And like my phone doesn't even serve me. Like it serves some functions for me, but it's also serving another master. Right. And it can even betray me because the government can just subpoena my phone records and not only look at all of my 
you know, text messages and emails and all that other stuff, they can track my movements through the yep. through the map function of my phone. And I know I can turn that off, but you know, I use Google Maps, you know. So I, <laughs> so I leave it on. So much like the people in this world, like I've given up this like pretty major bit of privacy, you know, for the convenience of this service, right? And so in that way the movie was very prescient, you know, like yeah. like like the idea of, you know, maintaining your own I don't know, privacy, you know, of your yeah. movements and your, you know, your functions and so on. Really shows uh, you how impressive George Orwell was. Oh, 100. He predicted it so long ago. Um yeah, I, I think there there is a small difference in that I can opt to not carry a phone. You know, why would I? But the convenience and the, the way we live kind of almost requires it. But I could still opt out. But in this world, they you can't. It's everywhere you go. And I can see that coming. You know, yeah. like like you could like it, it's kind of like the camera systems they have all over major cities. Oh, like, it's already there. So it's, it's okay. there. They know they can find you. They can run facial recognition and search for where you are. So yeah, you can opt out of having a phone, but if you go That's into true. like a major metropolitan area, they can still track your movements like well, really so easily. I watch a lot of true crime shows and like investigations. I really like seeing the the investigations and a lot of times they're like, well, he drove from here to here, so if his story is false we could see him on this camera and they'll go to someone's house hey i noticed you have a security camera could we take a look at that you know and so they a lot of times they bust them from cameras that aren't even public you know it's like someone's private security system so yeah i i agree we're already there um yeah i mean like and and you think like in this day and age it's uh, it's very minority report in that like there are so many ways to get caught. Like like you either have to be a dummy to commit a crime or it has to be a moment of just like fuck it, I'm going. You know, I know I'm going to get caught. I'm going. And I know that people these days get away with crimes. I know that they do. But that net is tightening. You know, like yeah. with every passing year, technology is tightening that net. And uh and so now you know, like we're not to the point of a minority report like system, but there are people that get busted by similar, like not similar. There's no, there's no precogs, but tech, you know, yeah. tech will take people down DNA, you know, and they're just not taking them down preemptively. Exactly. Which uh, is the whole crux and, you know, uh, moral quandary that the movie presents. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I just, I, I really, I really dig the uh, the thought that went into this um, and, and uh, the way that they constructed this kind of realistic vision of the future and, and how so much of it feels real to me now. Like the idea of your car suddenly taking control away from you and taking you to jail. Yes. Can't you see in 10 years somebody proposing that and the government just making it a law? Like, like right now, I think in can't they just like put your car in lockdown if somebody steals it? Like, that's, well, if that's you like have tech that exists, cars, right? Yeah, yeah. If you have a newer car and somebody steals your car, 
they can just shut your car down and lock the doors, right? <laughs> like, yeah. That's a thing that can happen. So how far is that from, okay, now this car's just going to drive itself to the police well, station? You we're know? getting like, to self-driving cars, and so that's definitely a consideration. You get in the self-driving car, it's like, hey, take me take me down. I want to pick up a sex worker, and it just instead takes you to the police station. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 at the time this movie came out, it was kind of like, oh shit, he's screwed. He's just stuck in this car. How's yeah. he going to get out? He's got to kick out the windshield to get out of this car. That moment when that happened, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, that was another intrusive thing, you know? Yeah, but now, you know, like, we're we're half an inch away from that, just like we are with the VR and the eye scans, you know? Like, uh, yeah, what what year does it take in? Like, 2050-something? Like, in most movies, when you get close, to, like, Back to the Future took place in 2015. We got to 2015, and it was like, ah, they were wildly off base on a lot of this. This one, it's kind of more like, ooh, like, that's feeling real, not... Not yeah. the psychic stuff, but a lot of the other stuff is feeling pretty, uh, pretty realistic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think if you look at it from a visual perspective and the landscapes, and I, I think some of the, the quandaries that you're saying could actually be close. But I think like the car going down the side of like a building or whatever that was doing. Eh, that's probably not going to happen yeah. in 50 years, but or actually 30 at this point. Yeah, that's that's not going to happen. But but there, I could see from a lot of that, like I think they could be able to replace, do a full eye eyeball transplant in that time. Like medicine will get there, um, you know. But yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, we're do what cornea transplants these days. I don't know. Do they do full eyeball transplants? I don't think they do whole eyeball. I don't. Know. I mean, Lasix pretty amazing thing but i don't know that they're taking whole eyeballs out yeah but i think they'll get there if they're not already it's hard to say like so much like medical tech has gone wildly like have you seen this like skin stuff that they do where like if somebody gets a really bad burn they've got this new like plastic skin they can spray on and then the person doesn't scar over time like it's still experimental but it's like a real thing that's wild that's just crazy crazy shit so i don't know maybe they are transplanting eyeballs I wouldn't, if somebody told me you could transplant somebody's eyeballs, I mean, obviously they would be like visually vision impaired. You're not going to give somebody 2020 vision with some transplanted eyeballs. But if you told me that they did eyeball transplants right now, I would not argue, you know, (laughs) I'd be like, oh, that's (laughs) that's cool. That's cool. We could do that now. You know? Yeah. It's not that far fetched. It isn't one of those things like, nope, no way that's going to happen. Right. Um, so where, and you said we talked to Bri, or you did anyway, briefly about, uh, pre-crime and arresting someone before they've had a chance to commit the crime. And you said you definitely lean closer to the other side of things of that. It is a bad thing. Oh yeah. Like I, I, I for sure think that it's a bad thing. Um, because the, the system is flawed, you know? Uh, and they need all three of them, and sometimes one of them doesn't agree, and, you know, like, all this stuff has been kind of swept under the rug to to make it Mm -hmm. seem like a perfect system. And, you know, we've obviously shown that in this this world, people's uh, rights are just trampled on. You know, they don't necessarily 
have the same rights, but the idea of being convicted of a crime that you haven't committed yet preemptively, uh, yeah, that feels bad. That feels like not a good thing, no matter how, like, safe it makes the world. Like, that, that isn't a great thing. And then that made me think about how many people in our current system are victims of that sort of thing through profiling, you know, Mm -hmm. like how many people are just assumed guilty because of their, their ethnic background or where they live or their socioeconomic status. Like I, I didn't really consider it before as a theme of the movie, but now it kind of strikes me that, that maybe it is like in this film, you know, at the beginning they arrest this kind of well-to-do guy in a nice neighborhood for pre-crime, you know, and then of course they come after Anderton. But like in our There are no minorities in this minority report. <laughs> there is one, right? The one guy that works there. Right. It right. is the one minority in the whole movie. But But like how many how many in our world right now, how many people are like just presumed guilty, you know, and yeah. and summarily punished and executed by the police without even, you know, like I don't want to get into the whole cop thing, but it is, you know, it is a fact. It is a fact that the police on a fairly regular basis kill people who are not guilty of a crime. You know, Mm -hmm. like that happens a lot, you know, like way, way more. And then how many more people make it through our weird overcrowded justice system and come out the other side convicted of a crime they didn't commit? You know, like, like those things happen in our world, like pretty frequently. Um, So, you know, to point the finger at this system and say, oh, that's flawed. That's flawed. Well, like our own system is flawed as hell. Yeah. You know, like broken on so many levels. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I just yes, it feels I, I come down on the side that that is bad. I don't posit that our current system is better right and yeah and it only affects one type of crime correct yeah sure murder's one of the most heinous um but yeah it only there's other crimes still happening and you get to see that underbelly of the world a bit yeah um it's just kind of one of the, it is an interesting thing and an interesting debate because sometimes they're like, if, like I said, I, I do watch some true crime stuff and uh, specifically like um, women with like abusive husbands and things like that. Oh, just get a restraining order. What the fuck is that going to do? You know what I mean? Like, it, so we are in this place where like you, you can't protect me until he's done something. Right. Like yeah. you can't do anything until like I'm telling you, this guy's dangerous. Get a restraining order. That's not going to do any like that's where we live. So having some sort of pre crime in place where you could be like, well, let's take a look. Yeah, it looks like here he would he would have beaten you on the 22nd. Uh, so we'll go ahead and arrest him. You know, that'd be nice, you know, if it were flawless. But uh, there are situations where there's pros and cons, which I think is what makes the debate so good is that there are pros and cons. Um, Obviously, this movie, the system is flawed, but if there were such a system where uh, you could be 100% certain that you've predicted a crime beforehand and have stopped it, that 
the debate would still need to be there. Like, can you arrest someone for something they have not done? Well, yeah. I mean, like there was, I was just reading an article a couple days ago about one of these recent shooters and before before the guy went and shot a whole bunch of people like his family went to the police and they were like you got to come get this dude's guns like he is off the rails you've got to do something and they didn't you know because he uh had not committed a crime you know and he didn't meet any of the criteria and then he goes and he shoots a whole bunch of people and and so i think like when you get into this debate like i think the degree of crime adds an interesting like x factor into it like if yeah. we're talking about something at the beginning where it's like a, a beginning of the film where it's a crime of passion this guy caught his wife sleeping with the guy from the 4400 and so he's going to kill him right uh that's one thing but when we're talking about somebody who's going to go to a hotel room in vegas and shoot a bunch of people at the country like that's a different level of stuff so like like at what at what point do those scales tip to the point where people are going to accept it as yeah as something that okay that's worth it like that's worth it you know and it, it's the same debate that i was talking about that was happening in 2002 about security versus you know uh, freedom freedom and privacy because at the time yeah. the country was really wrestling with terrorist attacks you know and so it was kind of like uh, they are really like pushing in on you know like monitoring mosques and getting into like certain ethnic groups and in immigrant groups and uh religions and and like going over the mm-hmm. top and monitoring that and how much of that are we comfortable with in order to have this degree of safety that the buildings aren't going to fall down again, you know, and it's, it's a very similar kind of push and pull. And I think in the end, what happened was enough time went by that that debate just kind of petered out. And the end result was, Oh, I guess we are comfortable with this, you know, like as a society, we've decided that this is okay to the point where it's being reflected in like, popular culture like the ms marvel show on disney plus you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like like they come into that mosque and they're like monitoring the people are just like ah oh, we're used to this this is bullshit again you know um so yeah i don't know i don't know again it feels awfully prescient that society would just decide like yeah okay you know all right this is this is yep. what we're this is what we're doing now i guess we're gonna do this you know yeah um it does it is an interesting debate and um i was thinking when i was editing the ai episode uh you had said um you can't pull anything out of this or whatever and as i'm editing it we have these long conversations about you know various philosophical things i'm like nope couldn't pull shit out of it f (laughs) minus um so clearly that is not true but um and I still feel this is a much better film, and I still will not watch AI again because it's still a piece of shit. Uh, but there are things there that can be talked about. Um, but I think that this is presenting much more prescient, as word you've used a couple times, things that uh, we can apply now and look at and see uh, outside our front window. Yeah, and we haven't even touched on like the primary theme of the movie which is free will versus predestination right like like the whole thing is can he change you know this thing does free will 
make a difference. Like he throws that ball and the ball goes around the thing. Of course, the laws of physics say that it's going to drop on the ground, right? That's pre right. predestined. It's predetermined behavior due to the laws of physics. But the ball doesn't have free will. The ball can't say, I'm not going to fall on the ground. I'm going to change course. Or, I've, you know, whereas a human being does, you know, so is well, there. And they establish a possible like you can change the future if you know it if you know right 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 and so maybe they send you an email dink dink oh, so, oh i'm going to murder someone next week i'll stay in but if you don't know it can you yeah. can you change the future and and i was thinking of it in these terms i'm going to die someday right yeah and that's a fact right there's a fact that I'm going to die someday. And the day that I'm going to die is the day that I'm going to die. That's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Someday in the future, let's say March 15th in 2050, I'm going to die that day, right? It's a fact. Is there anything I can do to change that fact? Right? Just because I don't know the fact. Yeah. That that's the day that I'm going to die. Is there anything I can do that can alter that fact? And does it even make a difference? Right? Like. Are you having an existential crisis right no. now? <laughs> you just froze. You just froze. Um, no, no. I no. just, it, it's, I don't know. It's, <laughs> these are the thoughts that this movie gives me, you know, like, like are like, is the future written or is it not? I and mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Is the future written or is it not? I mean, we're well, in a very complex system and there's lots of, you know, we've talked on other shows about the butterfly effect and this and that and the other thing. But like all, of, is, all of those pieces are in flight right now, right? Like it's all in flight right now and it's super complicated, well beyond our human ability to see. But all those factors are going right now. You know, my own behavior, like, is it, is it? nature is it nurtured is it a combination of both can it be changed can i change it can i choose to change my own behavior or is that just part of my predetermined programming also you know yeah. like there is a um th this is something that is debated within the church a lot the christian church of uh, you may have heard the term calvinism or arminianism and calvinism is the belief that since god already knows everything our paths are set and we've been chosen, and those of us that are going to heaven are going because we've been chosen, and you know. And then there's Arminianism, where you have free will and you make a choice, and you can go any number of directions, you know. So it is a debate that spans forever. Um, and I will take your wife's side on this and say it doesn't matter. Yeah, make the best choice you can in the time you can, and be the best person you are. And go for it, you know, because, um, yeah, I get like, because I've had to have that conversation in various church groups. And I'm like, <laughs> does it matter? Do, like, be the best person you can be, you know? Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I can look at my past and I can recognize certain certain patterns and certain chain chain of events you know like oh i had to know this person so i could know that person so i could know this person so i could end up with my wife so my children could be born and here we are blah yeah you know but then that doesn't 
obviously we don't know what's going to happen in the future with that chain of events and what our reactions to that are going to be. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's all, it's all very interesting to, uh, you know, to come. How, where do you come down on, uh, my idea that they're haloed? You kind of, uh, so we me, opened, gave me a roll of the eyes that that maybe the end of the that he's still in the happen. halo. Yeah, I I don't think in the context of the film that that is the case. I could be wrong, but it's one of those existential things that you know. I guess I could be. You know, I can't prove you wrong, but the way the story is told to me, I get the feeling that his wife goes in, gets him set free, and then he goes and does whatever the hell he does. You know. I think in the context of the film, he is not haloed at that point. Those eyeballs are probably smelling pretty bad by now. That's all I'm going to say. Those are some stank. Well, it's in some sort of fluid, right? Those are some stank eyeballs that she's carrying around in that bag. Oh, yeah. But she gets them to get into the building. I don't know that they'd work anymore. No, don't you think they would have cut off his access? Like, they shouldn't have worked for him to get in. They would have cut off his access. Like, like, he was already red-balled, and he could get in with his old eyeballs yeah and when he goes in they've established this world is big brother when as soon as he rung that door and put his old eyeball up there it should have been they should have been on it should have been over because he stabs himself in the face with this thing that makes his face droop and you could tell it's still tom cruise like it doesn't work but it apparently works but as soon as he puts his eyeball there then the disguises doesn't matter at that point yeah. So, yeah, that that was a, a a plot hole that I can get past. Like plot holes don't bother me too bad unless they are like central to the story and I'm like, "Wait a minute, what?" You know, but something like that I'd be like, "Eh, whatever. They didn't think it through." You know, you know what I spotted this time which just was jaw-dropping to me. You hardly ever see something like this in a major motion picture especially after all this time, uh, especially a special effects extravaganza like this, the last scene that takes place in the temple when uh, I think maybe, maybe the second to the last, when he's putting Agatha back in or he's doing something like the, yeah. the guy who runs the temple, who's like deals with the precogs is in there and he's saying something to her. Da-da-da. He's a creeper. He is kind of a creeper. Yeah. But you can tell he takes good care of them and he really cares about them. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. The freaking boom mic comes into the <laughs> shot from above. And it happens like two or three days. Like it kind of keeps dropping into the shot. And I was like, oh my God. And my wife was like, what? And I was like, I can't believe it. Like in a Spielberg movie of all, they didn't cut this out. Like I rewind it. I was like, watch the top of the screen. And you can totally see it just like coming down into the That's shot. That's awesome. It was, it was, uh, it was a shocker, man. That's good. I, I, I like the um, Peter Jackson thing of where he typically will leave things in. He's like, if everything else in the take is good, leave it in. You know, well, that's true. Almost every movie, when you look at like the bloopers or whatever on IMDb, yeah. almost every movie has Spielberg visible in the rearview mirror. Like, like yeah. almost every one of them, like, or his reflections on the window. Or like, like he must be right up in their grill when they're filming these movies, like as a practice, because it's almost always like him specifically visible like as a reflection in some way yeah 
Um, I, I think Pete Jackson does it more of a deliver. Like he knows when he's at. He's like, ah, like there's a scene in in the second Lord of the Rings movie where uh, one of the guy's swords falls off as he's mounting the saddle of Carl Urban's character, and he's just like, the scene's the scene's still good. You you kind of really don't even notice. Let it ride. Like he just he likes having those sorts of things in there that you can catch, and I appreciate that as someone who. One of the reasons I like Spielberg and Pete Jackson is they don't come across as like, you know, auteurs and like, oh, the whole thing with um, Kubrick. Yeah, like every shot has (laughs) to be fucking perfect and blah, blah. No, it doesn't, man. You're human and your movie can reflect that. And I really appreciate that. You know they're not up their own asses too much. You like some. Uh, you like artists that are allowing flaws to be seen in the art. They, they don't take themselves that seriously. You can you can make something serious, and have it be a serious piece of art. But you don't have to be up your own ass about it. You know, no. I think yeah, I, I, I think Spielberg that. is kind of that guy. Like he doesn't get. You never hear him talking about how shitty Marvel movies are. Like yes. he's not bagging on them like you know who. Um, and I, and I don't dislike Scorsese films. Some of them I do. Some of them I like. But I just who shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Just because you're mad that your movie doesn't make as much money as Marvel movies, that's so. <laughs> you know, that's not what people want. Yeah, I mean, well, Spielberg is you know a populist filmmaker. Like the majority of the movies he makes are for the general public to see and enjoy. Yeah. You know, and I think it also speaks somewhat to just like the difficulty like how difficult it is to make a good movie you know like when the very 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 best has stuff in the movie that's like messed up it's like yeah yeah how is anybody else supposed to make something worth a damn like like i always give filmmakers the benefit of the doubt like even if a movie really sucks like nobody set out to make a bad movie you know everybody was trying really hard the Sharknado people did. That's oh. just a difficult. Well, even those, I mean, like, like they're good. They're, in their they own purposely dumb way, wanted to right? be bad, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like it's a tough thing. Like it is a giant thing to take on. You know, it's a very ambitious. The project. thing that the 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 fact that the room came out at all is in its own way a miracle, right? Like, like exactly that it got edited and finished, right? Birdemic. <laughs> yeah like i wouldn't want to even take on trying to make birdemic you know like that's still a really big ask to to gather all those people and do all those things and put those dumb birds i'm doing the anyone who's tried to start a podcast with two people it's it's hard to find someone who's going to like be committed enough to show up every week and it i've had podcasts i did before it was like oh well you know the person is just not as interested fair enough no right. big deal i'm not you know but to get enough friends together to make a birdemic or uh, one of my personal favorites thanks killing um have you seen that uh no no i have that's oh, about wait, a killer wait. turkey the turkey yeah i've seen the turkey yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you know that you know they're goofing around they're making a fun little movie i i'm with you but i my thing is is just like and and actors can get this way too. It's like why I like guys like Hugh Jackman and uh, Jack uh, Jack Black and guys like people who are actors, but they also realize they're 
people they don't take themselves like you never hear Hugh Jackman talk about oh I had to get into the mind of the character blah 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 and he doesn't do that Jared Leto bullshit um, you know that's kind of what I like I like the guys that I feel like I could have a beer with yeah. and, and that are down to earth and you know aren't crazy yeah, yeah, it, it would be interesting to have a, a conversation with Spielberg about some of this stuff. Like, it'd be interesting to, like, if you could really get him unfiltered, like, you get him so, like, okay, we're not recording this, but let's just talk about some of this shit and see where he lands on some of these movies and how he really feels about how some of yeah. this stuff came out. Like, it would be, it would be interesting. Well, I'm just saying, he doesn't strike me as someone who's, like, up his own ass. He's not, he's not precious he's Kubrick, about it. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Him, I specifically Kubrick and and um, Scorsese are the two I think of where it's like. Well, I wonder, like, if Spielberg were listening to our podcast, like, how many times we would have hurt his feelings by now? You know, <laughs> like, doing like, what? We're, Other we're than saying we as fans, oh, like, you know, fairly positive people, we've said some pretty harsh shit. You know, if he'd been like, well, why are they so mean? Like, what? <laughs> AI sucks, bro. It sucks. Okay, but that being said. You fucking made Jaws, dude. Like, that's how it would go. You know, (laughs) my favorite author for a long time was Orson Scott Card. He wrote a book that's just absolute trash called Empire. It's horrible. Doesn't mean Ender's Game isn't amazing, you know? So, yeah. Fair enough. All right. On that note, like, we pretty much covered all the questions I had for the end uh, during the course of the conversation. So what do we got coming up next? What's our next big thing? Oh, baby. I hope it's good still. It is. There's no way, right? Next, we're going to watch Catch Me If You Can, Leo DiCaprio, Tom Hankey. You've seen it, right? Uh, I've seen seen it. Ooh, Not to blow next week's podcast, but I think I've seen it once. Yeah, I think Ah. I saw it one time. So this will be, and it's been a minute. You know, it's been a while. It's probably like, at the theater when it came out so this will be I've, newish i've for seen me. it multiple times because i i think the story is just so entertaining and well done and bright and colorful and lively and interesting <laughs> i don't know it's all the things that the last two movies haven't been um i'm really surprised i don't i i have a a less of an opinion of minority report because i used to just love it yeah Loved i think it. i think you i don't. still love it i think if anything i love it more now Good. because i feel like it's brave you know like i just feel like it was a brave film to make when they made it and so that that gets a lot of respect and like just just, just as a final note it is entertaining as hell like this the whole scene where they're chasing them and they got the the freaking rocket packs and he's hanging on to that one dude the and action banging up against the ceiling dope. and the yeah. people the families at dinner and the guy's like get him off me man just get him off me like, there's a couple so oh funny. that guy was losing <laughs> that guy had given up on life he was so good at that moment oh there's a couple moments that i really forgot to talk about that i really like there's the scene where um uh colin farrell confronts Tom Cruise in the elevator and he's Tom Cruise pulls a gun out and uh, Colin Farrell's like, listen, man, I don't hear any red balls going off. And then the alarm fires up and his face changes. Yeah. 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 Loved that. Yeah. That's great. Um, And then I also really like the part where Colin Farrell's telling the old guy about the crime and he's like, 
do you hear that? And he's British and he's awesome. And he's like, do you know what I hear? Nothing. No footsteps up the stairs. No hovercraft out the window. And no clickety-click of little spiders. Do you know why I can't hear any of those things, Danny? Because right now, the precogs can't see a thing. Yeah, awesome. Uh, really good. Yeah, ex- excellent moments. Excellent uh, uh, action sequences. I feel like the special effects, for the most part, hold up. You know, they're kind of stylized at certain points. Um, like they it get dawned that, on me, we are fully in the CG realm now. We like are kind of left the practical effects behind, and now we're in like full, yeah, green screen. And it's it, like like it's interesting how they were able to take the CG effects and give them the same film grain, and and you know because it's a very kind of silvery, like yeah, blown out I didn't like movie. Everything you know? was blue and gray. Like I I personally don't like it when movies do that, but. Yeah, so like they were able to do that with the with the special effects as well, which I thought was pretty cool, you know. And they've they've got certain moments where like Tiny Tom Cruise is running across the cars, which the cars are clearly special effects. And like ten years prior, Indiana Jones was clearly on a green screen up against a cliff, you know, as right. the water shooting out. But here we are, ten years later, and and, and like to our modern eyes, we know that CG. But damn, if it isn't seamless compared to what it was 10 years ago, like leaps and bounds better, you know. Uh, So, yeah, very cool. All right. All right. I think uh, we we could go on for another two hours with my report, but let's 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 call it. And okay, yeah, I liked it more than you did, obviously. That's fine. uh, We're good. We don't have to agree. Uh, but we'll see you uh, next week. We're going to watch Catch Me If You Can. Look in the show notes for all our socials if you want to find out more from us. I'm going to go watch Catch Me If You Can now. Do it. Do it. Absolutely. I'm going to go change the cat litter. So, oh, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> all, all right, right. Man. Bye, y'all. <laughs>